that every single person here has worked their butt off to change the future of the Bronx That's what I know. That's what I know. And that this victory belongs to every single grassroots organizer, every working parent, every mom, every member of the LGBTQ community, every single person is responsible for this. Well, I think what we've seen is that working class Americans want a clear champion, and there is nothing radical about moral clarity in 2018. Friends, I'm a little bit hungover. A little bit hungover because Virgil and I were lucky enough to spend last night in a little borough called the Bronx. It's one of New York's five boroughs, which also includes Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. The Bronx is, of course, the northernmost borough. And the the sixth borough, upstate. (laughs) When, When all five of them come together, that's power. That's a fist. That's respect. That's respect. No, uh, Virgil and I were uh, invited by uh, Ryan Grimm and The Intercept to do a live stream from the uh, event's headquarters for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez last night. And wouldn't you know it, she won. She didn't just win. She just beat by double digits. Yeah. Yeah. She whipped the shit out of Joe Crowley. Yeah. Did you guys see the list of people who donated and companies that donated to Joe Crowley? No. Campaign? It was like a It was hilarious. Yeah. It was like it was like Halliburton. <laughs> like it was these gigantic behemoths of evil capitalism. And um some local businesses. The puppy mill from Jackson Heights. Joe Crowley got donations from everyone who directly profited off the Iraq war. And every company that has a TOS that says that they have rights to your organs after you die. <laughs> I really thought that last minute donation from the Black Eagle Trust was going to put it over the top. <laughs> well, I mean, like like many people, you know, in the media caught off guard by this. I wasn't even aware that Joe Crowley was considered next in line after Nancy Pelosi to be Democratic like minority leader well, I mean, or look, speaker of the house. Look at him like young blood like that. <laughs> no, I I was I knew about Crowley as like a pretty important congressman and there was that talk about him succeeding Pelosi, which <clears throat> is kind of like Saudi succession talk. It's like young new 75-year-old up and comer <laughs> next king, but um I completely completely did not think Ocasio Cortez had any chance. Because this is such a D triple C Death Star, mm-hmm. it, it's like and Crowley. Like if anyone, if any incumbent was going to lose, someone like Crowley is it would absolutely inconceivable to me. And we had talked about it before. Like who is going out and voting for people like Cyrus Vance or fucking yeah Mark Warner or Joe Crowley? And wouldn't you know it? Someone tried hard enough, and most people, the vast majority of people, were like, "Yeah, why the fuck would I vote for that guy?" Um, and doing it, you know, this guy, Crowley, is not just like a big money guy in the National Democratic Party, but is like the Queen's Democratic Party boss, New York State, New York City, probably one of the most rigged primary processes you could possibly imagine for any. Yeah, the Democratic any, machine in New York yeah. is locked up. Hold yeah. on. Hold like, on. That's, why, that's why a lot of the kind of, you know, 
DSA uh, favored candidates are doing well in places that where Republicans win because the Democratic Party isn't there to fight the left. Yeah, yeah. New York New York is the only state in the country who has different primary dates for federal and state elections, and that is to keep turnout down. That's expressly why they do it. Hold on. I hear a lot of criticism of Crowley as sort of like a corrupt machine boss, but let's be clear. Took care of his community. <laughs> kept violence just among his own kind. <laughs> <laughs> never sold drugs. Never allowed his family to sell drugs. And always conducted himself with what's the most important thing? Respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the government broke him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then the voters of his district <laughs> broke him. <Yeah. laughs> um, kind of unfair. So I hope his son can, you know, not lose an election. <laughs> to Joe Crowley Jr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe Crowley Jr. loses an election to like Queen like uh the Queen's school board and he, his mom <laughs> is like, They're doing to him what they did to his father. <laughs> Joe Crowley Jr. loses a special election to Mr. Met. <laughs> um no, uh, you know, uh, waking up this morning, again, uh, very hungover. I'm going to try to do my best to, uh, since Virgil's not here, to uh, give you a sense of what it was like to be in that room last night uh, when AOC came in the room and saw on New York One as she walked in the pool hall that they had called the election for her and that she had won. She was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, that like, and then, you know, sort of, metabolizing it all this morning as the media struggles to sort of create a narrative around this or fit it into their, like the amoeba has to like reform around this new reality. Take a minute to really consider how, what a stunning upset this was. Like obviously like not national ramifications, but a far, far greater upset in terms of like who was running against who than Trump over Hillary Clinton. Like Crowley outspent her 10 to one. And as we said, was a, huge huge figure in both the queen's democratic party and the national democratic party nobody thought this was possible in this district and cortez ocasio cortez uh just proved everyone wrong and one of the things that uh many of her volunteers or the people who were canvassing for her uh told me in virgil uh when we were talking to them was uh it was easy to make this case it was easy to go door to door and explain, you know, this is the candidate. You know, there's a primary election coming up. Here's my candidate. What are they for? Oh, uh, not taking any corporate money, not taking any lobbyist money, uh, abolish ICE, Medicare for all, housing rights, legalization of marijuana. Uh, like the case is there to be made, and it's an easy one that almost anyone can pick up. And a digestible policy-based platform with concrete things mm-hmm. people respond to it. And w- another thing that a lot of the, the canvassers and people who worked on this campaign told me who were DSA members and socialists, what they said is when you engage people uh, who either haven't voted or have voted for you know the standard Democratic Party ticket in the past, when you engage them on the idea of power and that politics is a vehicle that a candidate is a vehicle for you to exercise and assert power over your life and the community you live in people respond to that and they they feel like they have not encountered that before in political campaigns and uh i was really uh i mean it was really um heartening to hear from uh these young people many of whom this is the their first political campaign they've ever worked on and they've come up with this big a win I mean, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, I think people should uh, absolutely take note of it. Also, um, 
it is incredibly exciting to have Cortez in, in Congress. I mean, of course, like, as we know, she's going to lose because voters are going to be scared about the deficit and vote for well, the Republican. In Queens, I, feel, I, feel but, like, you know, I feel like we're, yeah, we may be putting the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, there is yeah, still yeah. a general election yeah, in yeah. November. And, you know, she ran a very divisive campaign. It's hard to see if the... I don't know if the five registered Republicans in that district are, could come out. The Republican candidate this year in uh, New York's 14th is yeah, Vincent the Chin Gigante. <laughs> and he's, Felix, he has ties to the community, you know. Felix, yeah, pe- the, people you, want problem solvers, and you've got like Domino's Pizza out there filling hot holes. People might actually just elect a pizza. Yeah. Felix, you, you, br- you brought they this did, up. They almost did last November, <laughs> November's ago, and Patriots stopped them. Felix, you, br- you bring up the Republican uh uh, challenger Gideon Resnick showed me this morning that the guy is literally a family court uh, like father's rights activist. Oh, All right, yeah. well, I'm leaving the show to work on a very exciting campaign. Exactly, I, uh, I, vo- yeah. I volunteered immediately. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm going to be this guy, Steve Schmidt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, this is very exciting because Ocasio Cortez. She isn't the first person in this Congress who has a lot of her beliefs. Like, I feel like there are two people who are kind of stand out as not shitty in uh, the House of Reps and it's Betty McCollum and who's sort of uh, the representative for Ramsey County, St. Paul in Minnesota, the fourth district, who's like shockingly good on Israel, Palestine and other stuff. And of course, uh, Barbara Lee in the Bay Area. But neither of them have ever really been spring chickens. Like they've never really been into challenging the party leadership both in like house succession and chairmanships or in like endorsements for primaries and shit and that's not super important because they don't have a huge profile but you know they are older and Ocasio-Cortez is 28 and she seems very interested in a national profile and that's obviously not the most important thing in politics, but having someone that can actually carry that banner well, believe, and is also, pretty important. Grandpa's not going to live forever. And yep. we have this entire generational gap of just basic social democratic politicians that used to be, at the very least, a small but reliable segment of the political class. Very small but reliable. And just by virtue of their presence... Uh, the Democratic Party was just slightly less ruthless towards left left politics, and they were a stronger bulwark against uh, you know right wing retrenchment. Um, we saw that diminish greatly, and we actually have to replenish our supply of politicians if we're going to do anything, keep our heads above water. So yeah, I mean it's good. We we really need we need kind of a new crop. I mean I've been uh, reading a lot about it in the headlines today. Uh- Alexandra, she was a bartender four months ago, and now she is going to be the youngest person in the U.S. Congress. Um, in addition to that, she's also a Star Trek fan, big Trekkie. So that is what we will be interviewing her when she does come on the show. 100%. Yeah. No policy I need to know, whatsoever. DS9, Next Generation, where yeah. do you come down on this issue, ma'am? All right. I am um, now, you, get, you listeners can't see it. I'm levitating above the ground. I just came up with the greatest contrarian take possible let's do it let's hear it so joe crowley is bad for accepting money from pharmaceutical companies but ocasio cortez was literally a drug dealer before that's what being a a bartender is you are welcome (laughs) so i mean again like in, in digesting the magnitude of this upset like like here's here's the question that 
Virgil and I were talking about uh, Matt. I know you, you were talking about this. Uh, Ryan Grimm asked it uh, on the air during the live stream. Like up until what happened last night, like the big question was, what is like what accounts for this incredible disparity between Republican primary voters and Democratic primary voters? Whereas what you have in the Republican Party is Republican primary voters see voting as an part of an ideological mission to push the Republican Party as far to the right as possible mm -hmm. and that they are part of a conservative movement whose goal is to always support the most fascist, racist, lunatic possible running for office. Wait, mm -hmm. Republican voters? Republican primary voters. Oh. Like, what I mean, like, why, why is it, for I instance... I think that's very geographically specific, though. But, like, why is it that, like, you know, where is the left Tea Party? Like, they were able in 2010 to knock off all of these, you know, sclerotic, awful old politicians and replace them with even worse ones. You know, we saw, you know, or, and then more recently, uh, they, what Dave Bratt did to Eric Cantor, and that there, up until now, has been nothing comparable in the Democratic primary voter, who, who is largely... Not ideological. Yeah. I guess not what I would I would guess though. Yeah, I I, I guess that what I would distinguish is that th this is not like some kind of grassroots organic right wing movement. Like this is a um, a highly top down institutional thing. That I mean, like that you know the Tea Party was always astroturf. Well, they have, yeah. they have money behind them in a way that the quote unquote left wing Tea Party could never have. But there, but. Democrat, Republican primary voters are more ideological in their voting than Democratic primary mm -hmm. voters are. Mm -hmm. So they have more fertile soil to work with when they're planting their astroturf. People want to do that. You don't have to convince Republican primary voters you want the most right-wing candidate. They know that that's what they want. That is, you, the same cannot be said for the majority of Democratic primary voters. For the most part, they're sort of happy with a guy that they, or, or a woman that they recognize and know for a long time, and that's kind of all. They don't apply those litmus tests. I, I think the, un, the missing piece of the puzzle here is no matter how right-wing a Republican primary candidate is, they're not truly a threat to the party donors. Like, Trump talked a lot of shit about, you know, oh, I, I will never cut Medicare or, Medi or Medicaid or Social Security. But yeah. it's like, of course he did. Of yeah. course he did. And I think the donors eventually came to realize that. And they realized that about the guy who fucking primaried Cantor in 20... Uh, was that 2010? Yeah, no, that was 2014. 2014. Their initial misgiving was, oh, these guys are less electable because they're crazy. But, uh, you know, we've put in all this work we into Alec. Mind crazy, yeah. Yeah, but with yeah Democrats, it's like, there is a concerted effort to stomp out anyone who is actually a threat to the profit lines of some donors. And I don't, I don't know if I can totally assign that Democratic primary voters are non-ideological. I think there's just so much fucking around with candidates, fucking around with voter rolls and shit like that. And also, like, you know, I do think that left challengers for a very long time had the stench of being losers on them. Yeah, and also uh, the Democratic Party is less ideological. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Felix, you said like a bit, you know, no, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing is more demoralizing than losing or just having being associated with losing, which up until now, or with a few exceptions, has been the role. And I just feel like I have lived through seeing so many shitty, like progressive Democratic challengers, like mm -hmm. a, of an era when like all I wanted was just someone who would say hey, the Iraq war was a really bad idea. We yeah. shouldn't have done that. And that was like the highest bar you could hope for. 
But like the fact that this happened with someone who was running as a socialist yeah. and then won is is incredible. I mean, like that that feels good because nothing succeeds like success, and you know, winning is what counts. Well, I mean, we we are almost getting into like pop sports psychology now, but look, the object never, of yeah. the game <laughs> is to get the ball into yeah. the hoop. The team that gets the most balls into the hoop is the team that wins. And the thing you have to do is win because that's how you become a champion. I don't know, dog. I've seen some pretty low-scoring games. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, but it is like there is a momentous effect to winning and a similarly momentous effect yeah. to losing. And I don't think the sort of psychological effects of a shock, like, ass-whipping victory yeah. Like this could be understated. Here's an interesting uh, observation. In watching uh, the news this morning or reading commentary about this election where everyone is like, oh my God, no one saw this coming. What an upset. Is I've noticed that the sort of center left and center right media have essentially metabolized and regurgitated the same narrative about this. They sound more alike each other. Than, than not. And I honestly, I saw a clip from the NRA TV show. It was like one of their online like web news guys where some angry man, uh, you know, points a 357 at the screen and fires shots of truth at you. But honestly, like the far right wing, the right wing press was more accurate in describing what Ocasio-Cortez's victory means than MSNBC did. Because what I saw on MSNBC was a lot of people talking about that, oh, she the, the liberal progressive challenger. And it's like, no, Crowley was the fucking liberal there. Like, mm-hmm. he was a progressive Democrat. By the end of this campaign, he had, he had come out for Medicare for all. But, like, it's almost not about the issues as it regards, like, you know, just down the line, like, Crowley supports progressive causes and issues or whatever. But it's not really about that. Yeah. You, you like you don't want someone who's just going to be like dragged across the finish line that you made them do that because you can't count on them to follow through when they actually get in office as we've seen over and over again. Because their entire well, careers are underwritten by all of those <laughs> nefarious fucking actors that we were talking about earlier like Bank of America and fucking JP Morgan and and that's who he took money from. It's the that's reason who he's going to be responsible to. It's the reason he didn't look that sad when he lost. He was like, oh, well, that's the end of that. Time to go work three days a month for $5 million a year. <laughs> he, he did play, uh, he did, you know, he played the boss. He uh, got his Yeah, Love Sosa. Did- he played Love Sosa <laughs> by Chief Keefe. I mean, I think Cortez. leftists are really um, averse to the idea that, uh, well, not even just leftists, I think just sort of generally progressives, like that kind of mm-hmm. wishy-washy area of people who you know don't want people to starve to death or go to war or whatever Mm -hmm. um they don't like the idea that that the the right might be assessing us a little more accurately than like the centrist institutional kind Mm -hmm. of self-appointed liberal media but they've been consistently wrong like maybe you should pay attention to the people who one are kind of in charge of everything right now i mean this is very exciting, but we, we live in a very right-wing regime right now, and it's because I think right now they have a better read of the political playing field than we do. And, yeah, sometimes 
the NRA is right <laughs> and MSNBC is wrong. I, well, they're, they're right insofar as uh, they uh, called her a socialist and that they said that there is a rising socialist movement in America that is dangerous and hates capitalism and what America stands for. They're right. So, yes, good. They're moral. right. Yes, please. And, and I think a lot of times kind of liberals, I mean, remember how much time they spent trying to defend Obama from accusations of socialism. Uh, and he wasn't a socialist or whatever, but they were so scared of the uh, implication that someone might be too left and therefore not politically credible that they refused to have anyone who's even slightly left because they want credibility more than they want to win. Here's a, very, here's a great centrist uh, Democratic line that I've seen this morning. Um, Ocasio-Cortez, um, you know, truly great victory for her, great victory for women everywhere. But um, at the same time, this is really... It's going to drag Dems in the, the Midwest and South down. Yeah, that's when what they, they hear they about. Say this shit. They, <laughs> yeah. they have no idea what they're talking about. And the right on the meantime is like, this could be a rising tide of socialism. They're right. <laughs> like, it I, could be. I got to agree. Or at with, least one wave. I got to agree with that uh, previous take, though. It's like, you go to the Great Lakes, they're upset for Joe Crowley. <laughs> They fucking loved. They loved this oh, guy. I, I called I, my mother this morning. She was crying. Yeah. I can't. I can't, can't believe they did that to him. Amber, who is this Alexandria? <laughs> what, is, what did she do? All these people with Joe Crowley, uh, uh, Speaker of the House T-shirts that they're going to wear <laughs> after he won and celebrate. Now they got to send those to South Saharan Africa. It's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. If you go to Zenia, Ohio, guys named like. Caden Lorp, who, <laughs> who are like, I just ate chips and pomp for launch, for launch, and yeah, have the pond fight that Michael always posts. <laughs> uh, they are upset for Joe Crowley, but it's also super weird too because like they understand. I mean, they have this very. Um, do you guys remember that Futurama joke where there was like a a, a robot in charge of uh, that was a network executive and its entire job was to underestimate the Midwest? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it it, it won't play in Ohio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of that's what they do. They're just they're just uh, machines that their whole purpose is to underestimate Middle America and assume that we like you know that people care. I doubt my mom knows what happened. My my fantasy is that I'm given an assignment to like go to the Midwest to talk, like do one of those like we talk to the forgotten uh, voters, blah blah blah. But I just don't talk to anyone who voted, which is most people there. Yeah, most and people. It, and it just like it's under the gut. Like the headline is like in Trump country, hope and despair. But the actual article is like just a guy telling me like. You know, honestly, if they let me cry in the UFC, I would knock the fuck out of someone. <laughs> when I cry, I get strong as fuck. There's no reason why like noodling. That. There's no reason why noodling should be illegal. <laughs> it just, yeah, they're you, just uh, fish. It doesn't even hurt. <laughs> it's just all that shit. They're like, there's nothing about politics in here. I'm like, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, yo, yo, I think Ocasio Cortez is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I almost like don't care a huge amount of what the center left media take is because most of them are just like weird scurrying creatures who just react to whatever stimulus is in front of them. So like, I feel like a lot of the MSNBC pundit response was like, "Well, I've literally never heard of this woman before, <laughs> but this is a new day, and it kind of validates whatever I thought like three months ago." I don't know. 
but the thing that the thing that was interesting to me was what Brian Fallon, who used to be Hillary's press secretary, said, where he's like, "Well, you know, this is great. Um, you know, the Democratic Party is now looking like its voters, and it's like, yeah, that's not the only thing though, but it is." Fallon is someone who's just like a complete operator, a fucking creature who will that type of person will do whatever it takes to survive. And I think it's interesting that someone like him is now positioning himself to be press secretary for whoever now instead of now not just really shitting on the left anymore, but kind of like sort of weaseling in oh, that yeah, Hillary 2016 message, yeah. but also like, please, please, please let me be the press secretary. Please, please, please. <laughs> And it's like yeah. yeah. Maybe they see the writing on the wall. I mean, they always have the potential to rat fuck anyone, and you should keep an eye on those people more than fucking anyone. But it is interesting that he, you know, someone like him took this track. Although, what a fucking crude, stupid way to congratulate someone who ran a hell of a campaign. Congratulations, <laughs> you won because you're, uh, yeah. Look at look at your race. Good look for at you. you. <laughs> look, look at you. you. You got the whole thing, and you know that's. <laughs> That's great. That's just great. I like the what you have going on with the. That's good. It's he, good for you. He basically walked up to Ocasio Cortez, who's like, "Time to turn on that old Fallon charm." Please <laughs> let me be press secretary. <laughs> um, uh, some other uh, some other news from the. Uh, oh, this is this is really funny. Like this is almost as good as uh, Cortez's actual victory was. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting about it. Yes, and, and yes. literally. Forgot what the primary was, so he goes, "Wow, next in line to Nancy Pelosi, Crowley, lost, huge upset. Guess he should have had more respect for his president. Like he literally thinks like some MAGA guy just beat yeah. him in Queens. He doesn't just, know yeah, what it he is. He doesn't know what a primary He's, he is. He has no idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he rules. Like even if like he knows that it was for the Democratic nomination, does he think like, oh, she ran for DSA?" Donald saves America, <laughs> the pro Donald Trump faction of the it's, Democratic but, but Party. It's really hard to like, you know, observe this and you know be sort of constantly horrified by like uh, the kind of opportunistic cruelty. Not even like a sadistic cruelty, and I don't think a historically unique cruelty to Donald tr- Trump. Uh, but you forget how fucking stupid he is, and like mm-hmm. just like genuinely like funny, stupid. Stupid, mean, dumb, dumb. Speaking of um, people who are incredibly cruel and evil, but also hilarious, other primary news of note. I'm sorry, I have to inform. I have to say that. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to say it. I have to get the words out because this is so gut wrenching for me. But um, Michael Grimm lost mm. the Republican primary no. to Dan Donovan in Staten no. Island. Michael Grimm, uh, you know, I mean, it just. Society never wants to give felons another chance. You know what I'm saying? It's like you go to jail, you just get written off forever. It's disgraceful. (laughs) Michael Grimm, for those of you who don't remember, was a uh, Staten Island, like proto-Donald Trump Staten Island politician that is like, used to be a former FBI agent uh, who is like the the absolute perfect encapsulation of the MAGA Donald Trump supporting like East Coast goon. Um, Famously, uh, during his last legal troubles, he uh, told a reporter from New York One that he would, quote, break you in half like a boy. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of all time. You get I'll respect break, that way. I'll break you in half like a boy. Um, during his career as an FBI agent, he uh, was involved in a basically nightclub brawl where he invoked his authority as an FBI agent to uh, 
arrest the ex-husband of the woman who he went to the brought to the club. There was a scuffle. He came back at four in the morning, I think unholstered his weapon, made everyone get up against the wall and said, all the white people leave. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, wow! And here's God has forgiven him. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> this is also funny. Uh, He's made his peace. <laughs> Dan Donovan was endorsed by Donald Trump, but in this race, both of them were going like it was just a contest to see who could suck off Donald Trump the best. Because even though you, Grimm wasn't endorsed by Trump, he was running at all his posters and ads were like, "We love you, Donald. I want to do the Donald Trump agenda for you, Staten Island. We love Donald." I love all these people just completely prostrating themselves for Donald Trump, who has no idea the election is even going on. <laughs> Michael Grimm, all of his voters are guys who have been saying they have to get in shape to try out for the Giants for the last 20 years. <laughs> it's just guys who put on trash bags, run one lap around the high school track and field, call like a high school sophomore the N-word and then leave. And, you know, you would think that would be enough people to elect him in Staten Island, but unfortunately Oh, yeah. No. I mean, like, if you go for the, like, Michael Rapaport character, like, kind of electorate, that's a lot of people in New York. Well, yeah. uh, sir, that- sir, uh, you're being purged from the voter rolls because you're actually a character in an Ed Burns movie and not, <laughs> not part of our reality. This is fucking unfair. What are you? Ad- be- <laughs> you're literally the white guy in a Spike Lee movie. Is your vote for me? He... <laughs> No, Donovan was able to go across the finish line because he had actually delivered for these people as opposed to Michael Grimm, who just liked to talk, by making sure the cop who murdered Eric Garner did not go to jail. That's true, yeah. And it's like he had that on his resume yeah. to be like, hey, I got, I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out for the community. Well, yeah, so he's the establishment guy who got one horrible murderer cop off, but I guess uh, Grimm was like the up-and-comer who's like, no, as a cop and congressman, I'm going to murder more people. <laughs> well, he should have yeah. done it. He should have dropped a body before election day. Yeah. He might have won. Stupid. Well, uh, aside from um, Michael Grimm being defeated, uh, we do have you know some other rays of hope you know, peering through the inky abyss. But um, I don't know. Like uh, just, just back to last night, and uh, Virgil and I talking to like, a lot of the people who, who worked on the campaign – and honestly, like people recognized me and they said, like, thank you. Or they congratulated me. And I really I felt like Leonard Nimoy on the monorail. Episode <laughs> of the Simpsons. Like, oh, didn't like, I? Yeah, didn't I? Or I felt like Barney talking to Leonard Nimoy about myself. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you didn't do nothing. That's a pretty good Barney. Yeah, yeah well, that's really good. Wow. Not, not bad. You have a gift. I, uh, I, I, I will see you in Rays, Nick Mullen. <laughs> I uh, someone like someone DM me to say like. You know that uh, shut down ICE protest in Varick that went to Fed Plaza earlier yeah, this yeah. week? They said that like our episode got them to go there, and I was just flashing back to episodes we've done, and I'm like, Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Like, I was like, wait, you mean the one where we saw the Gotti movie? Or, like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was like some bit about Master Chief taking off his helmet to eat pussy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this fucking dumbass show. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, like, but the point is, uh, you know, whether you host a humble podcast or, or do anything, like, I think we can never truly uh, anticipate how our actions resonate in, in the world when you put them out there. And, the, you know, I just think uh, it, was, it was very heartening to hear from these people that they felt in any way uh, connected to the show uh, because of their, their efforts. And 
and a broader point, like this question about like the Democratic Party and, and voting and elections and things like that. As we've, I think, talked about on this show quite a bit, there are plenty of good reasons to be cynical about all of that. And I think we've uh, talked about that at length on this show. However, I think what we're seeing now is there is a crop of candidates. There is new people getting involved in politics who are worth your vote. And not just that, your money and maybe even your time and labor. And what candidate or person or race you want to invest in is different. Every district is different and every person is different. And that's a judgment that everyone should make for themselves. But all I can think about is the the joy uh, that the people last night who shared this victory felt and uh, the hard work that they put into it paying off. And um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think okay, we that, really should have ended with this part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because now we're going to talk about well, now we're gonna, yeah, stuff. Well, now we're going to go. Yeah, now we're going to Chris gonna talk, switch these. Yeah, we we all feel we all feel good now, but we do, of course, we all live in the same universe and the Put same the reality. Put the front, the back, and the back, and the front. That that's the hopeful note. But uh, this week, a lot of other things happened. Just today, a bunch of huge things happened. We literally just found out Anthony Kennedy is retiring from the Supreme Court. Want to talk about Leonard Nimoy passing that Janus decision? My work here is done. Then he just, you know, I don't know, flitters away to hell or wherever he's going. Yeah, he does like a "How dare you" written opinion, and then he's like, "Anyway, you know, pick who you like, uh, place me. Yeah, I'm gonna go be put down." <laughs> <laughs> As I said, uh, God, looking forward to whoever uh, Trump nominates to. I think there's a good chance the guy who will fill Anthony Kennedy's seat will be a former uh, children's party magician who went to jail for child abuse, came out, became a talk radio host, and has never gone to law school. Or the, That or Judge Gian Piro. I've heard it's a pretty tight contention between the general from the auto insurance commercials <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, McGruff, the crime-fighting dog. Now, so, it'll probably be some 35-year-old a fucking cloned creature from the basement of the Federalist Society. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a genetic experiment from Alec. No, yeah. it's yeah, it's going to be someone from like the heritage grown beast. It's going to be like yeah, a genetic experiment from the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society. It will be a guy who literally looks like uh, a, a Star Trek alien on an episode where like the budget didn't cover enough makeup, so he'll just have just <laughs> enough smooth human features, but also vaguely alien in appearance. I feel like he'll have like a humanoid body, two legs, two arms, even fingers, but his head is just sort of like a three-eyed fish in a bowl on top. He and, also- and here's the best part, folks. How stupid are we? We were nominating mortal judges before. This guy never die. He'll never die. If you cut off his arm, it'll grow into another <laughs> conservative <laughs> like judge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, folks. He reproduces we- by budding. It's amazing. Uh, no, yeah. So dealing with uh, the feelings of joy and enthusiasm we feel over the huge upset victory. However, at the same time, just over the past week, it has been a fucking brutal, brutal series of Supreme Court decisions uh you know not limited to let me just go off the top of my head 
uh, striking down the California law that uh, mandated crisis pregnancy centers to inform the people who visit them that they are not, in fact, doctors or offering any medical services at all. Um, Voting Rights Act, um, gutted even further by uh, a Gorsuch uh, decision. Uh, Muslim travel ban upheld, Trump's Muslim ban that was upheld. And then I think the crown jewel of them all just this morning, the uh, Janus case, which basically makes America a right to work country and um, removes public sector unions of the ability to exist or raise money. Fund themselves. Yeah. Fund themselves. Yeah. And left the door open for basically abolishing the NLRB concept. Well, not only that, it was Alito and Gorsuch who wrote this opinion. And I've read analysis of it that like basically like they have set up in this decision uh, the path for uh, future decisions to basically say any regulation on wages or negotiations between employers and employees is essentially uh, restrictions on free speech. Yeah, that the a, government cannot, a, yeah, oh, we cannot restrict uh, yeah. a negotiation between two parties yeah. and like making a free speech case that will essentially eradicate all labor law in this yeah, country. We're back to Lochner, basically. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, that, that is the world we're living in now. It's pretty bad. Um, but I have to say, as far as the NLRB goes, that's an institution that was created to... Uh, let's say, uh, soothe the anxieties of, of labor and to give them a sense of security. Um, the NLRB has been responsible for some truly anti-labor um, actions. They, in I think 2008, maybe, they almost sued uh, all of the, the MTA employees unions like, out of existence because they went on an illegal strike. Uh, they, they put the the man that led the strike in prison for 10 days. Well, I mean, even creating that, even creating the LRB and that whole arbitration system essentially ended labor militancy, like large scale labor militancy. Yeah, because they thought, okay, well, we've, we've got our way into the institution. We have an institution. It's going to advocate for us. And you saw um, something like it almost got created in uh, the UK. I want to say around the 1900s. And, the trade unionist movement fought it tooth and nail because they're like, we know exactly what this is. This is a trick. You're saying, oh, look, we're here to uphold uphold labor protections, and uh, that's that's a that's a, a feature of what they do, but it's not their their reason for being at all. Um, it's really bad, and we need to you know stop the bleeding and everything. But it does emphasize the necessity of moving to actual rank-and-file labor militancy again. Uh, the fact that these institutions and the very like flimsy protections that they've managed to create over the years are crumbling and have backfired in many ways, I think, indicates that there's no shortcuts. Um, I think, especially after the election, uh, unions are realizing that not only is the Democratic Party not interested in organized labor or protecting organized labor or fighting for them. Um, they're not capable of it. It's not one of these things where I'm trying to find a silver lining, but it does seem like this has made clear the path that the labor movement needs to go. There's a, a really good thing in, in uh, Jacobin by Chris Maizano that's up like right now that's just called uh, Labor's Choice After Janice. 
And it's like, look, there's only one way out, and it's the old way. I mean, and, we're seeing the states where you've had these big upsurges in union and militancy from yeah. some public sector workers are all right to work states where they already didn't really have union representation. And uh, Nevada, which has basically the last bastion of like a really muscular and politically influential labor movement is already a right to work state. They don't have it either. And uh, that kind of complacency ended up allowing the labor movement to just sort of slowly dissolve from within without realizing what was happening. And now, you know, if that, if those, if those palliative structures aren't there anymore, then really all you can do is, is, is fucking strike and, and be militant. It's, it's the only path you have. I want to. I want to read something. This is from. Uh, <clears throat> this is from Steve Schmidt. Uh, Felix already referenced him earlier. You know, God's plan. He's he's one of the good ones. He's standing. Mm. He's standing up to Trump. But no, he uh, he went he on. Never did anything to pave the way for Trump. <laughs> ever. Yeah. He's don't he, look up what he did ten years. You know. <laughs> no, Steve Schmidt is one of the good Republicans, <laughs> and he was on um, MSNBC today and talking about the Ocasio Cortez victory. He said that this is just a symptom of Trump radicalizing America. And he says, like, you know, and we can't let the left also get radical because that's bad. And what he said here is when we have dishonest progressivism, and he's talking about Ocasio-Cortez, and what he means by dishonest is that she wants um, student loan debt uh, wiped out. She wants Medicare for all. She wants housing, uh, guaranteed housing and jobs. It's the old, who's going to pay for it? Where are we going to get the money? And just like... it's dishonest to believe in those things when we have uh, the deficit. We're right? going to get what... a huge uh, Matt Christman style uh, acne <laughs> magnet. <laughs> Hold it up to you. Yeah. Um, so he yeah, says, so it's, change. So, it's so nice of this Republican strategist to give advice to the Democratic Party and, mm-hmm. the, and the left in general. Like, wow, thank you, man. You didn't <laughs> He's have really to. He's totally for our honest. Welfare. Really, yeah. yeah. This totally honest He's like advice. A solid guy. Well, yeah. you know what, God, guys? Damn, thank you, Steve. He's, they're called. Con- Concern elves. They're, they're, they're magical, sprightly creatures concern who are fairies. concerned for you. They're the I, concern well, fairies. God, I hate seeing this bald asshole's head pop up like the SimCity alert. You can't increase spending. You'll regret this. <laughs> Fuck off, you bald piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, guys, they I mean, obviously, him. we all feel very good about uh, Cortez, but I guess there's a certain part of me that just thinks... <sighs> This is why Donald Trump won. Yeah, and, true. and seeing her win on television last night, I just I worry about how many new Trump voters that created. You know, most most people who joined the uh, Nazi party, it was because they were concerned about the budget deficit. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you just pushed me too far. So, yeah, he says um, uh, when it becomes a game of incitement between a far left who says everybody is going to have a government job, everybody is going to have daycare, everybody is going to have retirement, free schools, free college education, as we careen toward a $30 trillion in debt, he says, when we have dishonest progressivism and we have dishonest Trumpism and an alienated middle that surrenders, they break their will to fight back. They become disenfranchised and hopeless about the idea that free market capitalism or liberal democracy can prevail in a radical era. What is honest Trumpism? No, I mean, he used the phrase dishonest Trumpism. Like, is, he is says the, dishonest Trumpism because he doesn't want to say dishonest conservatism. He yeah. wants to separate Trump from yeah. the other right-wing It's like agenda. when they would say corporate capitalism, yeah. and now they get Crony the very, very yeah. conveniently uh, say Trumpism, as so, if 
he's not just a particularly erratic manifestation of business as usual for the Republican right. Party. The, um, what it just baffles is, oh, everything is extreme. Why do you think people are looking for extreme solutions right now? Yeah. What, what, what is it about free market capitalism and liberal democracy? What, what have their functions been in the last generation that would make anybody trust them for solutions to their lives' problems? It's, it's not existent. And, and like, I just want to know what these guys' idea explanation for why things are extreme comes from. And I guarantee you it has something to do with, well, you know, once you start using this rhetoric, uh-huh. Once you start well, talking what's, what's in extremes, the benchmark then for everyone extreme? just goes extreme. When did we decide those things were extreme? Nixon considered nationalized daycare. He immediately shot it down because it said it would uh, you know, crush the American family as we know it. But that was a serious proposal. This, uh, so was fucking health care. I mean, these are not things that were considered extreme in the 60s and 70s. And now they're extreme. Well, there, there is now, I think, a, a very concerted effort to impose a real kind of historical amnesia on this country as it pertains to our current political moment. This was best uh, embodied by uh, David Gergen, a former Nixon (laughs) and Reagan goon, who uh, was on CNN uh, just the other day to say, what we're seeing right now in this country in terms of the incivility, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders being yelled at, oh, people no. like that. What he said is, you really didn't see things like this extreme during the civil rights and Vietnam protest <laughs> eras. And like that is one of the most ahistorical things I think I've ever seen. He must know that's not true. Yeah. He, no, there's, there's no way no David Gergen yeah. believes that's yeah. true, but he's saying He was it. there. Yeah. He but, was in but, the Nixon White House. I'm sorry. He heard the chants outside. Outside, hey, hey, LBJ, uh, hey, buddy, how you doing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like, I'm not saying that like this is a good thing, but the Weather Underground literally set off like dozens of yeah. bombs in America. There were so many more bombings in the late '60s and early '70s. It was you, thousands a year. It, there were so thousands. many. It's just like the amnesia was completely insane. The, we had domestic terrorism that is nothing approaching what we deal with now, even if you include like deranged shit like school shootings. Yes, but who, who did can... any hippies ever prevent like, uh, you know, uh, Nixon's spokesperson uh, from having a dinner? Did By the way, happen? can we talk about the chicken thing? Did because that ever because it, this was, did you guys see the thing where like the restaurant that wasn't the restaurant yeah. was like, yeah. yeah, this, this wasn't us, whatever. And so they were beset by both sides. People saying, why won't you defend the actions of your partner restaurant? And then other people saying, why won't you denounce that? And like, they're like, we don't know them. We're not affiliated. They're like, you have the same name. It's just the dumbest people in the world who cannot, the dumbest fucking Americans who cannot conceive of politics outside of chicken restaurants. It's fucking insane. There was the one guy who threw poop at it. <laughs> I saw that, that guy, this morning. Did, that he, guy did he at least get the fought. right one? He got the right one. He threw poop on the side of the building while yelling, "Make America Great Again." Was it his poop? I, I hope so. That is like that is like. Oh, like, I can get you. That poop. is like a. The, I'll, I'll get you poop in that's twenty what, like, minutes. The, that's what like the left wing Ben Garrison would draw. Like an anti-Trump cartoon, like a guy throwing shit all over the place and going, make America great again. <laughs> just so literal. Just holding but, shit in your hand and thinking, I'm sure going to own these people. I, and this shit is labeled like racism. And then the, fire department, the fire department had to clean it up. 
Uh, oh man! Yeah, think he about, made his precious first responders have to clean up. Dude, shit. think about being Damn. a Nova fireman. You already want to kill yourself because you're like, dude, I signed up like 15 years ago after 9/11. 9/11 mania was sleep was sweeping the nation. I'm gonna get so much pussy. You spend all your time going to like CIA contractors' house to get their like rare Persian cat out of a tree, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, well, I didn't think this job could get any worse, but I have to clean off the MAGA guys poop protest (laughs) (laughs) fucking sucks dude on the uh it's just a strange thing and it's like yeah it's cool to like scream at people in restaurants like we all obviously support that but like we mean anyone (laughs) your waiter literally anyone uh but i don't know if people understand that the chicken restaurant is not in fact the seat of american power (laughs) i don't i literally don't think they know that as all we've got as a as as, so goes the rotisserie chicken (laughs) so goes america uh my favorite my favorite uh, reaction i saw to the red hen debacle was that there is a small uh, publishing press called red hen press that has a twitter account that got a barrage of chuds baying at them and then like they were sort of trying to be cute and playing along they were like i'll never eat your chicken ever again and then uh, and then like they responded like well, uh, our books may be high in fiber, but we don't recommend eating them. They were like, how dare you? Well, I we're going to put you out of business. I wish you never told me. This is so fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> it's this so is this, sad. Oh, my. This, like, nice little publisher who's like, huh, well, uh, uh, I don't know that uh, anyone from the White House would come in here. And they're like, listen, you pedophile piece of shit. I have an SKS semi-automatic rifle. I have it aimed at your fucking head right now. I know the exact route your kids take to go to school, you fucking cocksucker the other red hen just kept after a while we're just sending screenshots of like the merriam webster's dictionary definition of unaffiliated (laughs) like over and over and they're like you have the same name and he's like your name is jennifer are you jennifer lopez like they like they they couldn't whether whether anti or pro trump they couldn't get it these are these are the people who like if they see a triangle shape at all, they're like, boom, pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't explain that it's a different restaurant. Uh, but this is the most important and terrifying piece of, of political protest ever to happen to people in the beltway because it's something that could conceivably affect them. Yeah, they're not getting served at a restaurant. The idea of missing a reservation or having an awkward moment in public, that is worse to them than a thousand riots in, in you know, yeah. cities or whatever. That's what they care about because it might touch them. They're terrified. Yeah. And like these, Both sides of the aisle, too. Yeah, they're oh, yeah. Like, well, and the, the, like you can see the palpable like f- frustration and, and rage among the sort of remora class of you know, uh, like web writers, conservative web writers, getting hysterically upset about the, the thing because they're in their head are already imagining, well, if this gets out of hand and more and more liberals feel like morally obligated to cut ties with conservatives – that I am going to lose my inv- invitation to Matt Iglesias' yearly <laughs> Halloween party where we all dress up like our favorite constitutional amendments. <laughs> and the thought of that no, no. Oh my uh, is God, literally bone-chilling oh to them. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. 
The idea of not getting that invite, they would have to kill themselves. And they're like, why are you saying, stop doing this? Stop establishing this new crazy boundary. What are you doing? You've destroyed civil society. I love to go to that party. But like, let's talk about that because like, I want to impose a boundary on you for inventing that party (laughs) concept right now. That's fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, that's why I hate it so much. No, uh, about this though, like, in addition to um, pained op-ed pieces that are just like let let Trump cabinet people eat in peace, and literally comparing it to the civil rights movement. Yep. You know, yeah. like this is some sort of lunch counter sit-in by uh, Sarah Huckabee. Yep. Well, you know, as uh, MLK said to the white moderate, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> but um, so like that—that's one end of it. The other end of it is like the 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 online chuds who are like all literally preparing for like the next civil war They're oh, like, yeah. this is a fort sumter moment the yeah. red hand will be remembered which is also funny because it's like what side are you implying you're on in the next yeah. civil war but the, the thing that's really funny they're is definitely like, preparing for they're, like serious battle though. we're talking like like the way that this is talked about that like our politics are becoming violent our, our culture is becoming unglued this is very we're at a very dangerous moment they're talking. No violence has been done nope. to any of these people. No, even bad, really bad language. Nope. No, but it's they're like ready they, for it. It's like they were uh, spit on or like egregiously insulted or anything like that. These are just people saying shame. They, they one hundred percent believe like it's the, coming, though. But like in in the head of both the the Beltway Civility Police and the Chuds, that is violence. Yeah, that they're, they're literally like, uh, I am I am buying eight new guns now and. Praying for a moment when I can use them on you yeah. because of this incredibly, let's be honest, an incredibly civil form of civil pro- yeah. disobedience. They're wrapping protest. Uh, cyanide pills and craft singles and putting it <laughs> in, in their fanny pack just in case they get captured. I will not be taken alive. Well, these guys are. Yeah, this is the guys who fucking marched around with assault rifles in Home Depot parking lots because they lost an election. Oh, that was oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was uh, four or five years ago. Remember yeah. that? Our society wasn't. There were no strained op- op-eds, nope. baying and crying about you know how close we are to civil war when everyone was literally showing up with guns. Yeah, to scream at Barney Frank while you, holding a fucking RPG in your arm about how about Obamacare. Do you remember when fucking like there was an Obamacare the Supreme Court decision that, like affirmed the ACA? These fucking morons planned a protest where they drove their semi trucks around DC and blockaded yep, yep, traffic yep. and honked their horn yep. for freedom. Yes, like, can you? It was going to be a million trucker march on Washington. They were going to block all traffic to and from the nation's capital, and it ended up being like three dudes in in tractors just hanging out on the side of a of the highway. It's but, and funny. it's like these are the same people. Like two years later, when like any BLM protest blocks a the highway, they're like. <laughs> My Buffalo Wild Wings are getting cold. I will murder you. Like, no, they were going to try to block like one of the biggest interstates in the tri-state area. Like, they're, yeah, they're going to try to shut down the Beltway. But not only that, you're talking about uh, Black Lives Matter matters protesters blocking traffic. They tried to get bills passed, and I think succeeded. Yeah. In some cases, that would make it legal for, for motorists to drive their car over a person who's blocking traffic. Uh, it's called drive your ground. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Oh, my God. Amber. <laughs> but the point Amber is. Amber and Alex have just been dropping the biggest ones on all my media <laughs> products this week. Thank you. I'm very hungover. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I just like, like the disparity between 
the, the, the forces of reaction and the forces that uh, exist to maintain the status quo, the violence that they're willing to employ and do on a regular basis to keep everything running smoothly versus the very, let's be honest, meek challenges that they, that they are facing now for maybe the first time, the disparity between the violence they're willing to employ and what they regard as violence yeah. asserted against them yeah. is astounding. Well, and it's strange, too, because what you do have is, I mean, you can't actually describe the like authority's call to order as um, whatever, the, the, the brown shirts or the fashion or whatever. They're, they're literally there to break up the fight and to keep things from escalating or whatever. But what that means in terms of trying to, uh, I guess, rush through or accelerate through the conflict is to just literally smack everyone down as quickly as possible, arrest people, get rid of them, and quickly pass um, you know, any bit of legislation they can to make it illegal for any kind of protest or dissent to exist. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, and they'll use, by the way, they'll totally use, uh, you know, the far right as a specter to do it, too. And they're like, well, also, we're protecting you from them. Uh-huh. And it's like, no, no, you're just trying to make sure no one has a has a, a, a long commute on the way to work. It yeah, has no, nothing I'm, to do with sides at all. I'm looking forward to the next Supreme Court decision that actually literally does make it illegal to protest anyone in this country, to protest anywhere or anything in this country. Yeah. Or like or that, that, that declares that not protected speech or... It, uh, speech violence becomes that's what they'll call well, it we're speech violence becomes illegal yeah we're already completely like losing the sight of what a free speech law is supposed to be we're reorienting it to to protect corporations <laughs> oh. like like people don't have free speech anymore but we're no. like you know what the new frontier it's it's the businesses they're the people who really need free speech ice needs free speech yeah. the cops need free speech you personally that's what you're doing violence doing violence, and you, yeah. they need to be protected from your violent speech yep oh god that's grim um this is why we got to put the back in the I'm, front the front i know <laughs> I'm, well, I'm feeling like i'm feeling like tommy lee jones at the end of no country for old men just yeah. i knew that there was a light out there waiting for me yeah well that's I kind mean, of how i feel you know but at least there is light out there somewhere in all that darkness i'm going on a boomer listening tour for all the people <laughs> that are just mad about the restaurants and are at this point just like sending in bomb threats to White Hen Pantry. Just <laughs> <laughs> completely lost the plot. Now it's going to be a few of those and then you're just going to listen to Dennis Miller talk about getting his moles examined. <laughs> yeah, you, you hate to put it in these terms, but there is a significant block of this country you just have to wait for them to die. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. And for the Supreme Court... Oh, but they keep making new ones. Yeah, yeah, keep making new ones. Yeah. I think that, that they change, but their kids are mostly just as bad yeah. as they are. Yeah. And I mean, all of these kids at like uh, Oberlin that are really mad that their bon me isn't authentic, they, they are practicing to send back the steak because it's, you know. Well, those are the done. libs of the future. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Those are the libs of the future. I mean, I've always said this. We have no idea what like kids now are going to turn out like. And I think people finally like drop that. Like the kids are going to save this because they've finally seen how weird youth culture is and how completely indecipherable it is to them. But you know, I'm just I'm just talking about this flavor of hog precedent too. I would hope they would just be like, oh, you lose a lot of people. Oh, you wait, know, after really, youth, you yeah. lose people to the right. Oh, wait. Especially when the left is stupid and ineffectual. They're like, fuck this. I'm not a loser. And then they leave. Yeah. And also like, oh, wait, like 
most things in this country have kind of gotten worse since Nixon. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, I'm just talking about like this species of hog when they die. But yeah. uh, it'll be a different species of feral hog. As for the Supreme Court, it's like... There'll be hogs with facial tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Face tattoos is a new thing. As for the Supreme Court, you just hope that there's someone... Who will just pack the shit out of that thing? Well, that's the thing. Is that yeah. bef- I was really despairing before this week because I just kept thinking we've all talked about this. Is, is one of the big things that fucks Democrats, and this is partially because they don't want to change things, and partially because they literally don't think that way. They don't think in terms of doing the sort of changing of structures that would be necessitated to pass something. They just kind of hang on by their fingernails while they can is that any serious progressive agenda would have to contend with the Supreme Court, and the easiest solution to that is to run on and promise to pack it, expand it, add more fucking seats, which Congress is totally able to do. It doesn't require a constitutional amendment. And that was something that it didn't seem to me that anybody was talking about, which just guaranteed they were going to get in there, and they were going to be like, oh, the Supreme Court just shot down everything. Well, what do we do now? We yeah, literally I, wait I, I, to yeah, get we, we wiped like, out in two years. If you look like, like thinking about the series of, just nightmarish decisions that were rendered this week and like what the Gorsuch, you know, Roberts Alito court is going to be like, like we really have to like be absolutely clear that like, this is the way it's going to be for a generation. And that if you think that like, let's say conceivably we get some, you know, socialist Congress or president or someone who wants to uh, institute universal health care or anything of the good things that we want to make a more sane, decent country. Don't think for a second that these guys. Yeah, like, this council guy, of Skeksis a guy can like, fuck it up yeah, exactly. at the last moment. A guy like Gorsuch, his life work yeah. is to be there to be the, like the block on any form of social or economic This is why progress. all of those Republicans swallowed their pride and backed Trump because of the chance to do what they're doing. So the, what, what I'm seeing is people are in the wake of just this parade of awful decisions and then Kennedy's uh, retirement starting to actually talk about fucking packing the court. And so hopefully that be, this becomes like abolish ice, sort of a, a sort of a fringe position that gets pushed over and more and more over time into the mainstream and it becomes a thing that serious candidates are going to basically have to endorse in order to be taken seriously. If you are a normal Democrat who is listening to this for some reason, not party leadership because you're just a completely cynical person, a cockroach who will, if Eric Prince won a primary last night, you would be talking about how you're tilting in that direction. But the last eight years of this country have shown they're going to call you whatever, no matter what you do. Obama passed a fucking Heritage Foundation Health Care Reform Act, and they said it was year zero. Yeah. The then they you know you made your appeals to moderate Republicans and the twelve of them that exist in this world and all right in the media all have columns they all fell in line and it didn't mean fucking anything they still voted for this fucking guy you don't have to worry about a game of escalation with you playing the part they're gonna escalate it no matter what and if you nominated fuck if you you went back and nominated uh, Merrick Garland. Like whenever whoever gets in there in 2020 or 2024, they're going to call them extreme no matter what. They're going to say you're crashing the norms. They're going to buy a fucking M1A1 Abrams and roll it through a Hobby Lobby as a form of protest. Just pack the fucking court if you want to do anything at all. I mean, and and bigger than that, like the, the a problem posed by something like the Supreme Court and a, you know, vicious right wing government in this country 
is absolutely, you know, you look at people like Pelosi and Schumer and the people who are in charge of the supposedly opposition party, and it lays bare the stark fact of the collapse of liberalism and the utter inability to deal with the rising tide of fascism in this country, mm-hmm. that, that, that liberalism has failed completely to articulate a vision of power and a different world that responds to the misery and despair that people feel because of the, of the system that they live under. You know, I don't think the rising tide of, I think the rising tide of fascism uh, crested and rolled back like just as quickly as whatever Hunter S. Thompson's comment on the, the counterculture. What we're left with is just a traditional right wing that is doing the things the way they always wanted to. And it just now they've spent the last 40 years knocking the legs out from under weak-ass Democrats who I don't think have politics at this point. No. They're, they're no longer ideological. They're, um, they're a bureaucratic institution that exists to justify its own existence. They, they manage a series of loosely interlocking interest groups yeah, and that, that sit atop the vast, the huge sea of people who just aren't Republicans. Yeah. That's for just various reasons. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, it's just that, like, what this is is just, uh, it's just that their entire goal the whole time, their long game, which they have succeeded in, in advancing, despite the fact that they, you know, Donald Trump wasn't the piece of shit they wanted, but he was the one they needed. Uh, you know, it's just, horribly inhumane mm-hmm. and that's just it like it's just their vision for the world is horribly inhumane it does it like and they they literally they literally courted fascists to get their vote and then they're like nah we're just going to do what we are going to do so we're going to be savage and horrible in a way that uh doesn't even benefit you fucking piece of, sh- of shit but at the same time though like as we were talking about like this this horrible thing where like it seems like our politics can only go to the right and like in I really wonder, like, in five to ten years, like, the type of candidates who are ch- primarying this current group of Republicans mm. are going to make them look like fucking, you know, like cream puffs. I don't know. They seem really fucking established right now. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing a 20-year reign of these morons. Oh, my God. And, unless the, the, uh, the, the, you know, libs stop, like, let up on the left or the left beat the libs. And because... Again, you're only going to fight the right with the left. You can't fight it with liberalism. Yes. Liberalism yes. only exists to self-justify, and it only exists when there's no opposition to it. And again, back to what I said at the very beginning of the show about uh, what the canvassers said about going door-to-door for Ocasio-Cortez. They said, it's easy. Yeah. People respond. People know what's Scoop real. People know who's real and who's full of shit. It's not hard if you have the right person and the message is there. Yeah. It's there to be picked up and... Who does it and how is the question. And, but, but it's all there, but you cannot... The, the Democratic Party, as currently constituted, is not going to touch that message because it directly conflicts with the people who fund them. Yeah. Well, they did... Uh, they just had the uh, like, uh, 2018 single-payer strategy conference um, in Minneapolis. And um, it's really interesting because it's like a lot of different organizations. There's like you know, unions and activists and, um, like, NGOs and stuff. And you saw, like, a lot of liberal NGOs hearing reports back were like, look, this is going to be so efficient. This is going to be so, like, this is going to be, this is going to save us so much money. And people were like, 
you know, golf clapping or whatever. And when the nurses would get up and say, this is about class war, rousing applause, Mm -hmm. rousing applause. And that's the only way you're going to get it. I guess to to wrap things up for uh, this episode and uh, bring it back again, uh, put the the horse and the cart in the right location and offer some light in the darkness for all you Tommy Lees out there, all all you you old men out there in the country. Uh, He had such a huge dick. He was an inspiration. (laughs) Um, I want to say when something unexpected and truly good happens, like we saw last night with Ocasio-Cortez, something that everyone thought was impossible becomes possible. And we feel, and rightly so, enthusiasm and joy about that. Almost immediately after that, you will be confronted with a whole host of people from across the political spectrum who, in ways both subtle and unsubtle, will try to undermine your confidence in your own sense of enthusiasm and joy and to get you to think one way or another that um, it's stupid to feel that way mm-hmm. or that like, you know, it's a fluke or, or, or that, that I am, I am smarter than you because I, I can see through this and uh, they're, they're there to undermine your self-confidence and what you know is right and what you believe in. And, as cynical as we are on this show, and for good reason, I would simply just implore everyone not to fall for it. And, um, you know, maybe, just maybe, there will be a Supreme Court. <laughs> you can cut that. Stop, cut stop. That. Cut that. Just go, and maybe, maybe. Maybe someone will finally get their sushi comped. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. When he rode past, I seen he was carrying fire and a horn, the way people used to do, and I, I could see the horn from the light inside of it, about the color of the moon. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. He's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there, and all that dark, and all that cold. I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. Then I woke up.